Good cross in. Evan White, brilliant finish. And here's the danger. Sam Kerr is away. Is this to be her moment? Miedemar. And Vivian Miedemar scores again. Welcome back to Football 51. Women make up 51% of the population. And at Football 51, we don't think they're given enough coverage to reflect that. Whether you're a diehard football fan, a passionate feminist, or someone who just stumbled across the podcast, we've got you covered on all the issues in women's football. This week, ahead of the start of the new seasons, we're launching a European mini-series where we look at the state of women's football in England, France and Spain. We've had England and now it's time for France. Bienvenue au football 51. Hawa Sissoko just moved to West Ham. But before that, she played for three clubs in the top French league, PSG, Olympique Marseille and Swayo. With the French youth setup, she won the under-19 European Championships and was a finalist in the under-20 World Cup, both in 2016. But her career almost ended before her first training session. At the beginning it was complicated, because when I arrived the president wasn't really for it, because he thought football wasn't for girls, so when I wanted to train he didn't want me to. But there was a coach who was nice who said, she's come, surely we can let her train. He let me train and at the end he said, she plays well so we're going to let her join the club. So they let me into the club and I stayed there. At first I was in the second team, that was great. The boys were like my brothers, I'm still in touch with some of them and see them a lot even after so many years. Halfway through the season I was moved up to the first team because I was playing well, but that didn't go very well because the boys in the first team didn't really agree with me playing. Some were really horrible to me. There were some that were nice, but there were some who were really very horrible to me and that made it complicated. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to stay anymore because I didn't like it anymore. So I tried to change club or change team, but my coach didn't let me leave, so I stayed on, and then later I left to go to PSG Women. She left because at that age she wasn't allowed to play with the boys anymore. I didn't know that. It was my coach who said that I could go and play for a girls' team. I didn't know there were girls' teams. If I hadn't found out, I would have stopped playing football. If my coach hadn't told me, I would have quit football. I asked her if the situation had changed since, in general and at FC Solitaire. Yes, yes, it's changed because now there are girls' teams, there are women's teams, there's training like everyone else, they have coaches, they have equipment, sometimes even more than the boys have. It's really serious, they have matches, so yes, honestly, it's really changed since I was young. And it's cool, it's cool. I've been to see their tournaments, their matches, and what they're trying to do isn't bad, i.e. it's good. I'm quite proud to say that that's maybe thanks to me. Women's football in France has come a long way in a decade. To take me through what's changed, I spoke to Sienny Dalmat, a football journalist for L'Equipe, the French national newspaper dedicated to sport. The turning point for me is the 2011 World Cup that happened in Germany. I think that everyone knows this story, but in 2010, the French men's football team had a strike in South Africa, where the World Cup was being played. And it's true that the French public fell out of love with the French men's football team. They were a bit fed up of the celebrity world of football, players who earned millions but didn't really have a good image, and on top of that, didn't, who didn't win on the pitch. 
And a year later, in 2011, there was a World Cup where the women, the players in the French team, got to the semi-final. They had a really good run in Germany. They played well. They were nice. They were polite. They were accessible. And all that meant that people turned towards women's football. Then there was the Olympics that they played in, where they came fourth. And then since then, there's really been an appetite for the women's team that has been consistent. Now, every time that the French women's team play, it's in stadiums. Well, the stadiums are still a bit smaller, but they fill them. You could say that the French team has found its audience. Also, there's the fact that over the past decade, the club Lyon in France has grown. They've won lots of titles, 14 league titles in a row. They also won the Champions League. So that's also helped the French people to become more interested in women's football. Teams have popped up all over the place. There are teams that are attached to men's clubs, elite professional ones. So that invites people to come and see what women's football is like. And then at the grassroots level, I think it's a sport where it's become easier and easier for girls to play. Before, there were one or two girls in boys' teams. And there are more and more girls' teams, girl-only teams, that have been made. There are centres, too, where girls can go and train. So there's a lot that's been put in place over the last 10 years. But there's still a long way to go. It's still not the number one sport that everyone follows. For example, this weekend I was in Saint-Sébastien for the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League. There were two French teams in the quarterfinals and who qualified for the semifinals, but there were still people who asked me what I was doing in Spain. They didn't know that the quarterfinals were happening. Whereas when it was the men, everyone knew that PSG and Lyon were in the quarterfinals. So we can say that women's football has a good reputation in France, but it's still not something that everyone follows. Not everyone is interested in what the women are doing. It's something that's still developing and is maybe at the start of its development. The top league in France, Division 1 Féminine, or D1F, is very uneven. It's officially an amateur league, but players at clubs like Lyon and PSG call themselves professional because football is their full-time job. At Montpellier, Bordeaux, Paris FC and Guingamp, the players have full-time contracts from the federation. But the rest of the players in the league have part-time contracts or are just paid per match they play. Siani tells me more. The debate that is very present at the moment for the elite is the debate of professionalisation. The debate that's very prevalent at the moment for the elite players is professionalisation, because it's true that D1F is a good league, but one that has several gears. What I mean is, at the top we have Lyon and PSG who battle it out for the title. At the moment Lyon is still ahead, PSG is trying to fight for the title too. They're still a little bit behind, but there is that battle for the title every year. Then there are teams like Bordeaux and Montpellier who are also trying to join the battle for the Champions League. Three years ago Montpellier qualified for the Champions League instead of PSG because of an administrative thing but regardless of that Montpellier qualified for the Champions League. There's Bordeaux which has a pretty interesting setup and is pushing to compete for those top four spots. Then there's the rest. So the idea would be to create a league that's a bit more homogenous with a bit more suspense at all levels and for that to happen the women need to have more money because we're still in a league where there are women who work, who study, who can't fully commit themselves to football and it's difficult because well I don't like making comparisons with the men, but imagine, I don't know, having players who have other jobs alongside football in the Premier League playing against full-time players. That would make the league unequal, and that's what's happening in D1F. So the idea would be to move towards a professionalisation of D1F, where all the players are professional and play football full-time as their job. 
but you have to have money for that. More and more people are talking about creating a professional league that would be managed by the clubs. The clubs would reclaim their TV rights and that would allow them to put a good structure in place, to pay their players, to pay the coaches, with better training, and all that is important too, to, play, to pay for better quality pitches. So there are all those elements that have to be taken into account. Is it just a question of money? PSG et Lyon déjà sont des gros budgets, euh, 7 millions, entre 7 millions, 8 millions euh, par équipe. PSG and Lyon already have big budgets, 7, 8 million per team. Then the two teams that have the best players, for example at Lyon, uh, Jean-Michel Ola, he's recu recruited the best players. They've doubled or tripled the positions and they've put their money behind that and that's important. I always say women's football developed because of the willingness, in inverted commas, of the president. Often that's it. You need a president who wants to put resources behind it, who puts a team in place, who will develop, develop the women's side. At Lyon, that's what's happening. There really are people working on and off the pitch to develop the women's side. At PSG, it's the same. There is a real project around the women's side. There are little niggles. They haven't quite managed to knock Lyon off the top spot, but they're working on it. Bordeaux has an ambitious project. You need resources, but you have to invest in them in them in an intelligent way, on the players, on their salaries, but also on a good structure around the football. How are they going to get around? How are they going to be able to live, recover? I've been to see Lyon train a few times, and they have excellent facilities. It's important to give the players good conditions to help them win. So yes, money is key in the women's game, as it is everywhere. We can't lie. Without money, you can't do much. As a player, does Howard think it's fair to say that the league isn't competitive enough because of these issues? I don't know if it's a fair situation, but it is justified. It's justified because they're not wrong. There's a real gap between the top six teams in D1 and the other six, and that's because of the financing. The top teams are the teams who can give their players the best salaries, which means players can play all year round, whereas in other teams there are players who can't do all the trainings, or before training they've had a whole day at work. They come to training and they're tired. There are some who have to get days off of work to play and travel to matches. They can't go away for two days because they work. So you have to take all that into account. Then you look at Paris, where they buy players for I don't know how much money, and she walks all over everyone else on the pitch because it's too easy. I understand when people say that it's not competitive enough, but for us players on the pitch, that's not what we feel. For us, it's really hard. It's difficult. We work really hard to get to where we are, and the proof of that is that now, if we look at the statistics, if we look at Lyon and Paris's scores at the end of the match, they don't look like rugby scores anymore. Before it was like that and now it's not. Now teams at the bottom of the table can play Lyon and draw or even score goals but before that didn't happen. It's justified but it's not fair. The gaps may be smaller than before but Howard did notice big differences in the level of support women's football attracted at the three clubs she played at around France. Between Paris, Marseille and Soyo, I really saw a difference. At Paris, there were people who supported us because it was PSG, so that's normal. And Paris is a sporty city. Everyone plays sport. In Marseille, it was like we didn't exist. That's the impression I got. 
that we really didn't exist. At Swire, we were the city's best team. We really were the stars of the city, because it's a small city. Everyone recognized the players. When we went food shopping, everyone recognized us. The stadiums were often full. There were lots of people there. I really saw a difference between Marseille, where the people weren't interested, Paris, where people were interested because it's PSG, the club of the capital city, and Swire, where we were the stars of the city, where there were there the players were on billboards on the street on roundabouts there was a roundabout we passed in the car every day where i saw my face before every match there were match posters all over the city so there really were big differences between the three cities in terms of how they considered the women's teams i asked her how it felt to see her face on that roundabout every day I was pretty proud. You're proud. You're there. You're in your car. You're driving. And then you see your face and you think the car next to you is seeing the same thing. So are the cars in front. Yeah, I felt really proud. It feels nice. That club where her face was on the roundabout, that's Swayo, the only club in D1F that's 100% women. Does Howard think that having clubs like that is the best way to grow and promote the game? No, it's not necessarily the best way of promoting women's football because financially it's complicated and it's tough against other teams, even if it wasn't the case for the season that just finished. Before it was the type of team that lost every match 8-0 or something. So to promote something, no, it's not necessarily the best way to do it. But in the city, yes, it's a way of making women's sport attractive to people because we were the highest level team. We were on TV every weekend. When people talk about Swayo, they're talking about the women's team, so yes. But if it was the only women's team in a big city like Paris or Marseille, that wouldn't be good. I think it wouldn't be interesting, but in a small city, yeah, it's not bad. When she was at a club with the men's side at PSG and Marseille, Howard didn't have much contact at all with the men's teams. She only knew the men at Marseille because she worked towards a diploma at the training centre with them. But I asked if she felt the men's clubs supported the women's sides. In Paris, yes, but in Marseille, no. That's not the impression I got at all. In Paris, yes, because we saw some men's first-team players coming to watch the women. When I played for the under-19s at PSG, when the men were playing before or after us, they stopped to watch us play a bit. They weren't just watching to make fun of us, they were really supporting us. We heard them shouting encouraging things from the sideline. At Marseille, no. I didn't get the impression that the men supported the women's team, but I did see some when I was at the training centre. They were nice and it was cool. The day I signed my contract, I bumped into Dimitri Payet and the president said to him, this is a new player and everything, and he said, okay, welcome, congratulations. Apart from that, no. I don't think they really care about the women. Let's not lie to ourselves. The Marseille team isn't ranked highly. They're at the bottom of the table. They don't play in the Champions League. Whereas, I don't know, Paris or Lyon, and more Lyon maybe because they've been even more successful. They play in the Champions League and quite a few times I've seen the men's players posting photos on Instagram of them watching the women's match because they're Champions League matches, which are more interesting to them than D1 matches. In general, they don't really like watching D1 because for them it's not quick enough. It doesn't interest them. First impressions suggest England may be different for her in that respect, where all the clubs in the WSL, the top league, are pro and attached to men's clubs. West Ham, where she's just been signed, is moving to a new stadium with a bigger 6,000 capacity for the next season.
Bah, de ce que j'ai cru comprendre et voir, c'est que... From what I've been able to gather and from what I've seen, the supporters here don't care whether it's men's or women's football. They support the club, they support the city, and that's all that counts. And they're just as demanding with the women as they are with the men. That's good. They really do everything for the club, and that's very important. That's what I've understood so far, and it's really interesting. It's really good because you feel supported, you feel important. Whether they're saying positive or negative things, you feel important. That's good, and it's important for us and for the development of women's football, because you're getting recognition for your work, and you know you're not doing it for nothing. Back in France, at the opposite end of the spectrum, the grassroots also needs more support, as CNE explains. At the grassroots level, they need pitches, they need coaches, they need coaches that have the skills to help the girls improve at training. They train late, sometimes from 8 to 10 p.m. And sometimes because they train so late, they can't find pitches, changing rooms. And you have to find people who are motivated about training women because it's not always easy for them. So you have to put in a lot of effort. When you go and see a game of a team that doesn't necessarily play at the highest level, you understand that the women turn up. They work hard, they're passionate, but often they end up giving it up because they don't have good enough training conditions. Some of the grassroots players will have been inspired by the World Cup that took place in France in 2019. I asked Howard if she thought that that tournament was a turning point. Yes, I did see some change, but there'll always be people who aren't objective. There are some people who won't like it just because it's women. People who don't like it and have good arguments for why, that's their right. We can't force them to like it. But people who don't like it and their only argument for why is that it's women, well, that's... But I noticed it after the World Cup, I did an event. There was a little boy next to me. I spoke to him and he was telling me about his favourite players, and some of them were women. Before, that wouldn't have happened. Now there are little girls who can identify with the players. You hear them say, I want to play like Amadi Henri. I want to play like Kadiratu Diani. I want to play like Valerie Gauvin. And before that didn't happen. They looked up to men's players like Ronaldinho and Zidane, etc. Whereas now young kids can identify with us, who they are seeing play every weekend if they watch the D1. But more still needs to be done. If Howard could change one thing to improve the situation of women's football in France, what would it be? First, I would start with the media coverage, because there are some people that say they don't like women's football. That's their right. They have a right to not like it. But there are some people who don't know anything about it. They say they don't like it without knowing anything about it. So the first thing I would change is the media coverage. It's on Canal Plus, but you have to pay for that channel. And there's one match on Canal Plus, and then the rest are on an extra button on Canal Plus, which means that you have to pay for Canal Plus, and you have to pay for the extra option. So it's not accessible for everyone. It's complicated. I know it's complicated to put the matches on free-to-air channels, and it depends on the time of the match. In France, we play at 2.30 in the afternoon, so it's true it's complicated. But if the matches are on a channel you have to pay for, and then to watch the match you want to see, you have to pay for the extra option. It's complicated. Even I didn't pay for it. In a situation where, as Howard said, some players don't even pay for the channels to watch the women's game, I asked Siani if that money from the broadcast deals was going towards developing the women's game at least. L'argent, alors j'ai posé la question. 
uh, à la vice-présidente de la I asked the vice president of the French Football Federation and he told me that the money that comes from the TV rights goes in a communal pot for the development of football not just women's football but all football. The clubs do receive a subsidy from the Federation every year, but the money from the TV rights isn't going to be distributed to the clubs like it is, for example, in the Premier League or League One, the French Men's League, because they're private leagues, well, leagues that are independent of the Federation. So they distribute the money from the TV rights to the clubs. Clubs in the women's game have also been hit by the COVID pandemic. With coronavirus, at the beginning of the crisis, I did a report and there was an agent who was very worried that the clubs would decide to get rid of their women's section if they had too many financial difficulties, saying that if anything's going to get sacrificed, it's women's football. Several clubs reassured us that that wouldn't be the case, that there was no reason to sacrifice the women, that they would continue to support them. In terms of their image, it would be a very, very bad message to send to separate the women or to cut the women off and get rid of them. Everyone reassured us, saying, don't worry, it will be okay. Also, the advantage with the women was that even when they were furloughed, because they didn't have big salaries, they didn't lose a lot of money because the state reimbursed them. So at the end of the day, they haven't come out of it that badly. Also, the Professional Football League, which is the governing body for professional leagues in France, decided to give money. Okay, let's be very clear here. There are men's clubs with women, which have women's sections. Okay, so money will go to all the women's sections that are linked to pro men's clubs. The Professional Football League gave 6 million euros in total. So you have, for example, Lyon, Paris, uh, Montpellier, Gangon. All of those clubs are men's clubs which have women's sections. So they'll receive part of the 6 million euros. Then, for example, Swayo or Fleury, I think, are not part of that because they're not linked to pro men's clubs. Instead, they'll get help from the federation, but they won't get as much money. So there's an envelope of 6 million euros in total. So that means 80,000 euros for the women's club in the se- clubs in the second division, like Nantes and Marseille. And the women's first division clubs, linked to pro men's clubs, will get 500,000 euros, Montpellier, Paris, Lyon. And the federation will help the other clubs in D1 and D2. These grants were made possible because there's a new broadcaster now, Media Pro, which is paying more money for League One, which has allowed the clubs to give some money to the women's sides. The worry is that for clubs that aren't attached to a pro club, like Swayo, which is already having problems, they won't get as much money, which would have been useful for a club like Swayo. Swayo, Fleury and Isi, who were promoted to D1, they're all amateur clubs, so they will get €175,000, whereas the other clubs will get €508,000. So that will widen the gap that I was talking about before, that exists between the clubs in D1. Everyone is thinking the same thing, it's good to get that money, but it's not the same as the clubs that are linked to the pro men's clubs are getting. Looking towards the future, I asked CNE what her hopes and expectations are for women's football in France in the next 10 years. J'espère qu'il va continuer à progresser, mais pour ça... I hope that it will continue to progress, but for that to happen, the grassroots needs to be developed. If you want an elite level that performs well, you need a lot of players at grassroots level to feed up to the elite level. You have to train them, you need setups to manage the pre- and post-training. I think you need a league for the under-19s, which we already have, which is good, but you also need a league for the reserves, so that there's a league between the under-19s and the D1. 
There's a real gap between under-19s and D1, and often there are girls who are very good at the under-19 level, but never successfully cross that gap into D1. It's a completely different level. Several years ago, D1 was less good, but now D1 has progressed. Before, there were girls who started playing in D1 when they were 15, but that's less and less common now. There needs, that needs to be worked on. I would be for putting in a league for the reserves, where the reserves for the D1 clubs could progress. I think that it's important to really focus on the amateur side, reinforce that, give them resources. Maybe push towards the professionalization of D1, so make all the players pre, pay, pro and paid well. Um, about the salaries, honestly, I want them to be well paid, but it's not about making them earn the same as the men. That's not really the point. There's no need to go to those extremes. Essentially, they need to be paid enough to have a decent life. That's the most important thing. Then you need to develop everything around the game, the marketing, the stadium, getting people to come to the stadium. That's very, very important. That's the next step. If there are a few more spectators, we're not going to get 80,000 people for women's football straight away, but it would be good to have stadiums with 5,000 people there, maybe. Right now, the best attendances are around 1,000 or 1,200 people. It's good, but we can do better. There's all the work that work to be done around the game, around the image of the players that need to be worked on. Us in the media, we need to maybe give more space to daily reporting on D1 or maybe a bit on D2, like we do the men's League 1 and League 2. I think it's something that will develop. I don't know how quickly. In France, the advantage that we have is that in 2021, it will be the Olympics. And then in 2022, there's the Euros in England. 2023, there's the World Cup. It'll be a bit far away in Australia and New Zealand, but never mind. It could still be interesting for the French women's team. And then in 2024, we have the Olympics here in France and the French women's team will be there. These are the kind of events that allow people to watch women's football, to get interested in it. They make young girls say, hey, I'm going to start playing football. They make the parents keen to take them to training. We have to keep working at the top, but we still need to solidify the grassroots and get lots and lots of little girls coming up through the system because at the end of the day, we need to keep feeding the French team. And I'm not sure that the generation coming up has as much talent as the generation we're seeing now, but I'm pretty optimistic for women's football. I think that it could really take off. We're reaching a, the bar of 200,000 players in France, which is very important. We have to continue. Football has to become an obvious choice for young girls to stop it being a woman who plays football. Wow. No, it has to be normal. But everyone needs to work to make it happen. The media, the federation, the clubs, maybe the presidents who are going to set money aside for the women. I think that in 10 years it will have evolved and maybe in 10 years we might be close to a million players in France if it continues like this. That's the dream. Peut-être on s'approchera du million de licenciés en France, peut-être ça continue comme ça. C'est un rêve. Thank you so much to Howard and CNE for giving us such an interesting explanation of women's football in France. I hope you enjoyed it. You can listen to the episode on England from yesterday on Spotify by searching Football 51. And tomorrow at 5pm, we've got the last part of the mini-series coming out. It's all about Spain. In the meantime, do get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at, at football51pod. We really want to hear your feedback and let us know if there's any other topics you want us to explore in the future. Thanks for listening. A la prochaine. A la próxima. See you next time.